Join us now for Education Matters, a weekly look at the real people and real stories in education across North Carolina. Welcome to Education Matters, presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm Keith Poston. Does having at least one black teacher make it less likely a black student will drop out of school? Or how about more likely to go to college, too? Our first guest today says yes, and she has the research to back it up based on student data from right here in North Carolina. We're also going to talk to her about discipline disparities for students of color and meet the founder of a youth mentoring program in Durham, all on today's show. Before we tackle our main topic, we always open with our headlines, a quick scan of education headlines across North Carolina and the U.S. On last week's program, we talked with leaders from Durham about the potential takeover of two of its elementary schools by the North Carolina Innovative School District. After taping last week, one of the schools, Lakewood Elementary, was dropped from the list of six schools under consideration. Glenn Elementary remains on the list, along with three other schools located in Rocky Mount, Northampton County, and Robinson County. Durham school leaders and parents vowed to continue to fight to keep the ISD out of Durham. ISD Superintendent Eric Hall says he will make a final recommendation to the State Board of Education in November and the board is expected to vote in December. If selected, a school must be handed over to a charter school operator that will be selected by the ISD or the school must be closed. The General Assembly convened last week for a fast and furious three-day session, but two areas that many in the public education community wanted to see addressed failed to advance. School leaders from across the state have been asking for relief on a K-3 class size mandate they say they cannot afford to implement without new funding or with drastic cuts in teaching positions such as arts, music, and PE. Beyond the personnel costs, many districts say they lack the classroom space and do not have the time or the resources for that either. The North Carolina House seemed ready to address it, but opposition from the Senate forced leaders to withdraw the measure. The other area was principal pay, where the legislature did address one issue where a small number of principals being paid on the teacher pay schedule would lose pay. They did not act, however, on the bigger concern about a significant pay cut that may hit principals next year, mostly our more experienced ones. Some districts fear they will lose many of their best principals to early retirement if these big cuts happen next school year. Finally, a bill introduced by Mecklenburg County Republican Representative Bill Brawley to allow two Charlotte area communities, Mint Hill and Matthews, to form their own municipally operated charter schools failed to advance in the Senate. Opponents of the bill fear it will set a bad precedent if suburban communities begin pulling out of the larger school districts, in this case Charlotte Mecklenburg schools, further exacerbating a pattern of resegregation. Supporters of the measure say the community simply want more choice and options for their students. Representative Brawley said he intends to bring it up again in January. Remember, you can always visit the Public School Forum's website at ncforum.org, click on Education Matters, and read more about each of these headlines as well as the other topics we cover each week. As I said at the top of the show, a new study released earlier this year on the impact black teachers have on black students got a lot of attention nationally because it's rather remarkable findings, and we have one of the authors of that study with us today, Dr. Constance Lindsay yes. from Urban Institute That's in right. Washington, D.C. Yes. Thank you so much for being here. Glad to be here. <laughs> now, let's first talk about your research. Sure. It garnered a lot of attention, and that's why we invited you on the show. How did you study the impact that uh, uh, African-American teachers have on black students? 
So, um, so basically, this is administrative data from North Carolina. What's nice is uh, the Department of Public Instruction here keeps records on students and makes them available to researchers. So we were able to look at over 100,000 student records of black students entering third grade between 2001 and 2005. And what's nice about the administrative data is that you're then able to look and see, you know, did they go to high school? When did they graduate? Did they go to college? And so basically what we end up finding is that having at least one black teacher uh, in grades three, four, or five leads to decreased rates of dropout and uh, higher rates of attending college. So you were the, so the data that's available. I mean, obviously this isn't identified by name, right, but this right. but this matches up the students, and so you know what the demographics and the race of the students and the teachers. So you've been able to track really from for an entire sort of twelve years, yes, if you will, yes, right? Yes. So so that's what really got me when I saw the the, the initial news reports. Just one teacher, just one black just teacher one black uh, for teacher. a black student made a big impact. How big of an impact in terms of um, dropout rates? So for all students, it's about 30%. And then we found even larger impacts for what we defined as persistently low income uh, young black boys. And so those are students who were eligible for free and reduced price lunch the entire time they were in elementary school. So you talked about, in addition to dropout rates, you also tracked likelihood of attending college. Mm -hmm. Now how did you sort of how do you determine that yep. based on data? So when you graduate from high school in North Carolina, you fill out a little survey that says I'm gonna attend a four-year college, I'm gonna attend a two-year college, or I'm not going to college at all. So it's basically a signal of your intent to okay. attend college. So we're able to see that. Do you um now we titled this episode Black Teachers Matter. Okay. Because yes. it's yes. It's, <laughs> it, it seemed pretty much yeah. that, that it did. Mm -hmm. And it and it was just um you know Again, you've got the data. Mm -hmm. I trust the data because yes. I've looked at your report, and we okay. do have it on our website. Okay, so, folks great. who want to look at the, all the information, but it's a, it's a, it's definitely a valid and clear difference. Mm -hmm. um, just one teacher. Just one, just one black teacher. But I think that gives us a little bit of hope, right? So, one of the things we know nationally, both in North Carolina, is that we don't have the numbers of teachers of color that we'd like. But if it's just one, I think maybe we can think about how we distribute our current teachers to maybe get some better results for our kids. All right, so that, I mean, I got it, it begs the question, if, if you get better results from just having one black teacher, does it make a difference if you have two, three, four so throughout we, your school that's career? That's a really good question. We, so, so we're only looking at those elementary school years for okay. this particular study. And what we found is if you just sort of limit it to third, fourth, and fifth grade, it's just one during that time period. So it's not a real difference if you have two or if you have them in a particular order. So no dosage or timing effects. Right. Now, um, you've obviously looked at the, the demographics, um, you know, for all students. Did you see similar effects for say white students uh, with white teachers or white students with black teachers? So that, that's a great question. So for this particular study, we just limited the analyses to black uh, to black students and sort of looking at that comparison between having a white teacher and a black teacher during those years. Um, in some of our other studies, we also look at the impacts for white students and usually find that there's no negative impact of white students having a black teacher. Right. Was, um, were you able to tell, because you can see where the schools are, were there any differences at all across the state? This was a pretty wide swath of data. So That's you had right. urban, rural, east-west, right. um, no difference at all? So we didn't, so we didn't um, look at sort of uh, where the schools were. This is just statewide. So we literally have every single school in the state. So this is sort of the average impact across the entire state. All right, let me shift gears a little bit, although we're going to continue to talk about that, so uh -huh. in particular in our next segment too, because I, I do want to explore and have a conversation about 
why. That's right. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, because and then sort of what do we do about mm -hmm. it? But uh, you also in, did a study looking at um, discipline disparity. Mm -hmm. It's something we've talked about on this show. Mm -hmm. So talk to again. What are we talking about when we talk about uh, discipline, uh, exclusionary discipline? Mm -hmm. What are you talking about? So so we also use the the same set of administrative data to look at um, students at all levels, elementary, middle, high school, over the years of 2008 to 2013. And basically what we found is that being matched to a black teacher leads to lower levels of exclusionary discipline. So these are, you know, when you're suspended out of school, in school, um, expulsion. So the sort of more harsh disciplines that, that students might receive. Do these tend to be the ones that are more subjective disciplines? Because I know that in North Carolina, they mm -hmm. the expulsions and things are, are, are sort of marked. You've got things like, you know, if you bring a gun to school, you, right. you get caught with drugs to mm -hmm. school, it's sort of an automatic. There's almost That's like right. almost like mandatory minimums mm -hmm. in, the, in, the, yeah. in the criminal justice. Mm -hmm. But what, is it, is it a, does, does disparity show up when it's more subjective? That's right. So we find that most of the effects are driven by what we call willful defiance acts. And those are the ones that have the most teacher discretion. So those are the ones that involve teachers reading students' behavior. And so we think there's something about that match that causes, uh, maybe causes black teachers to read students' behavior differently than other teachers. And so, but now did you see, again, I'll ask you this sort of similar question, did, uh, you've got the data, so did you see any difference in terms of white students? I That's mean, right. white students being treated uh, better, worse, the same, uh, depending on the race of the teacher? So we found, um, so we have some earlier versions of the study where we found that basically everybody does better when they have an African-American woman teacher, and <laughs> not that I'm biased or anything, <laughs> that's, that's just what happened. <laughs> um, but we also found some interesting sort of delineations. We found that for low-income white men, um, they also do better with having a black teacher. So there might be some cultural things that are happening. Fascinating. Well, we're going we're gonna to continue this conversation. We're going to add on our next guest. But um, uh, we'll, so when we come back, I'm going to introduce you to Atreus Good uh, from Durham, from a movement of youth. But first, see if you can answer this question, viewers. In 1989, one in 50 black students in Charlotte attended a hyper-segregated school. That is a student with a minority student population of 90 to 100 percent. What was that ratio in 2010? Welcome back to Education Matters. Did you correctly answer D? In 1989, one in 50 black students in Charlotte attended a hyper-segregated school, again, a school with a minority population of 90 to 100%. By 2010 and today, it's about one in three black students. Joining us now to continue our discussion is Atreus Good. Atreus is the president and CEO, founder of Movement of Youth uh, in Durham, North Carolina. Thanks for being here, Atreus, and Dr. Lindsay continues to be with us. Now, Atreus, I invited you to come on the show because I, I just recently had the opportunity to hear your personal story um, about the impact that, uh, that mentors had on you. And, it, and, right. it, and, and I had just been following Dr. Lindsay's research. So can, share with us your story, sort of about your, sort of the impact it had on you. Sure. Well, my early life was uh, a bit challenging. So my mom, she used drugs for quite a while when I was growing up. And my dad raised me throughout a portion of that. And essentially, I needed a way to transition out of that. And so eventually, I was matched with a mentor 
through the Greater Charlotte Chapter of the 100 Black Men of America, and their motto is what they see is what they'll be. So again, this idea of visioning that it's important to see people that look like you in positions of influence to help you to then see yourself in that space. Yeah, I like that because when, when, when you said that the other day, like what you, know, what you see is what you'll be, I mean, I immediately thought, mm -hmm. um, because we're going to talk about this on, in this segment, um, in Dr. Lindsay's research, is that um, what he's describing uh, about the impact of mentors Probably a decent sure. um, hypothesis about some of the effects that you're seeing in the res in the research. That's right. Yeah. So you can totally think about this role model effect. So just seeing a college educated uh, black teacher might be something that signals kids that they also can go to school. Right. You can imagine that. You know, if you don't, you know, particularly for these persistently low income black boys, if you don't have that at home, having it at school might be the the mechanism that causes you to to not drop out of high school. What was uh, you were obviously paired? I guess was it more than one mentor? or uh, others around you was what was the impact how did you know, sort of what you know can you look back now obviously you can you know it's, it's been a little while but uh, right. uh, so what were you thinking about so what did it do to you so so I did have multiple mentors and it's, it's interesting uh, I was talking before the show uh, when I was growing up my dad actually read the newspaper to me before I got to school and so when I was in kindergarten I was actually able to read and my first teacher was a white woman and I was reading out loud one day and she asked well hey are you reading and I said, yes. And then she asked, did you memorize that book? Hmm. And I didn't understand why she would ask me that. But then she started to pull other books from the classroom to see if I could actually read. And fast forward, I was actually asked to go to the principal's office to prove myself. Wow. Uh, and so this, this notion of me perhaps not being gifted was something that came up. And I was actually placed in the gifted program when I was in second grade. And that's when I had a black teacher. Wow. And that's something, look, there, look this, is, this is not your research, but this is research that we've seen. There, 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 are, there are trends that show that there may be sort of, um, let's say that black teachers have um, higher expectations right. of black yeah. students. Um, and conversely, you know, because of, you know, whether it's implicit bias, uh, whatever, um, that uh, the white teachers may have um, not have the same standards. Right. So it sounds like what you're saying, at least as, even as early as kindergarten. Oh, absolutely. That showed up for you. Yeah. Um, what about um, the, um, the discipline data? We, did, we, we talked about that just a little mm -hmm. bit. Um, the kinds of things we're talking about is that you, you see a gap in terms of sort of how students are, are punished in school? Yeah, so we certainly see these discipline gaps. And so one of the things that we talk about at the end of the discipline paper is maybe thinking about teachers as gatekeepers, right? So, you know, they have discretion to decide whether they send someone to the principal's office or if they, you know, um, just basically how they interpret behavior might be different. And I think that has some implications for how we train teachers and think about sort of the teacher workforce as a whole. What a, yeah, that's that's when one of the things I thought about is you know we've spent a lot of money in this country mm -hmm. talking about the um, trying to close the achievement gap. Right. I mean, there's mm -hmm. a, I like to call it the opportunity gap, but right. there's mm -hmm. there's clear differences in in academic achievement between black and white students. Mm -hmm. This research says you know maybe what we need to really be focusing on is is the teacher workforce. Um, it, it would be. And one could argue it might be a lot cheaper yeah. than some of the things yeah. we're doing. Yeah, that, that's one thing that we say. You know, there's sort of short-term and long-term implications. And one of the short-run implications is let's think about how to distribute black teachers, you know, across cities and states so that more teachers or more black students can have exposure to them. And that's, that's something that I think hiring uh, administrators can do very, not easily, but it's something they can think right. about. Yeah, we have, we have teacher recruitment challenges uh, mm -hmm. of, yes. yeah, of all color, right? Of all right? color, that's <laughs> right, that's right. Now, Treyas, tell me a little bit about, I don't, I don't want to give an opportunity to talk about moving to youth and just about your the, the work you're doing in mentoring because I think you obviously I think you buy into you, you got some good research now to back mm -hmm. it up but you buy into this notion that um, 
uh, that young, all, really all students need to see uh, positive role models. Right. So, so moving to view, we do a number of things. So mentoring college tours, we have a global fellowship and we give out college scholarships and we're run primarily by college students. And so this, this notion of having someone that is not that far removed from where you are and they also look like you, so giving you access to someone that's already been able to navigate some of those challenges. Uh, one of the things that we're actually transitioning into now is doing some work with the National Mentoring Partnership and so looking to relaunch Mentor Carolinas. And so this will be an affiliate across North and South Carolina that looks at the ways in which we can leverage various mentoring agencies to share best practices. Uh, but one of the things that I'm interested in is looking at uh, how do you leverage mentoring for racial equity and social justice? Uh, because my personal experience with the 100 uh, and I, you know, I think it was a great organization, uh, but a lot of what I was taught implicitly was that there's a particular way that I have to behave in order to be successful. So these, these cultural gymnastics of black and brown people notice code switching, mm -hmm. uh, that you have to show up in certain ways in order to receive respect. And I think that that reinforces this notion that the onus is on that student to show up in a particular way, and I think it fails to address the larger systemic issues that create the need for mentoring agencies in the first place. Right. Well, I'm glad you brought this up. This is important stuff, but we have to keep talking about it. Last word for you, sure. Dr. Lindsay, uh, uh, sort of what's next? What's next? So um, we're going to be doing some research on the relationship between teacher and principal race and thinking about teacher turnover. One of the things that we know is that black teachers are actually leaving the profession at higher rates than white teachers. And so that's something to understand. I mean, we want them to stay once we get them. So just broadly thinking about teacher diversity and how we can get a you know diverse, high quality workforce. And also just thinking about ways that all teachers can work with all students and maybe right. uh, reforming teacher prep, um, all things teacher diversity for me. Right, terrific. Well, we appreciate you both coming on. You're doing important work. Uh, we appreciate you sharing it with our viewers. Uh, I learned a lot myself yes, today. Great. So thanks Thank so you. much. After the break, our leadership spotlight. Each week, Education Matters spotlights individuals demonstrating exceptional leadership in education based on nominations from you, our viewers. This week, we spotlight Dan Schnitzer, who has helped build a really strong sustainability program. In fact, they won a number of awards, including the U.S. Department of Education's Green Ribbon School District. Take a look. Schools play an integral role in not only teaching sustainability, but implementing sustainability. Our school district has uh, over two million square feet and hundreds of acres of land. Uh, so we have a real opportunity to be a positive influence. So we do a lot of work in sustainability in our district um, and the administrative end on energy management. Uh, that not only has a positive environmental impact, but every dollar that we're able to save on utilities, we can bring back into the classroom and into educating. And one of the really fun experiences that I have is to be able to tie that into student education. One of the things we do whenever we use LED lights is bring in a pedal power generator, uh, where the kids actually use their physical strength and their physical energy to power up an incandescent, a fluorescent, and an LED light. 
and they can feel the difference. When we talk about energy savings, it's a concept, it's a philosophy. Maybe best case scenario it shows up on an energy bill, but when you're the one actually producing the energy, you can really get a sense of what that means to save energy. And we can tie that into science lessons on uh, potential energy, kinetic energy, mechanical energy, and then into electrical energy. We can talk about economics. So yeah, the, CF, the LED bulb costs more. Let's mark that on a graph of where it costs, and then let's mark where an incandescent light bulb costs and let's see how much it costs to operate and where those lines intersect and what that point means and what the different areas on the graph means. We, I do a lot of worm composting um, with students, so all of our cafeterias uh, compost their food waste. We've diverted over 800,000 pounds in three years. It will cross a million pounds this year. And we've got 12,000 students every day that are diverting their food waste. And so to really understand what that process is, I'll go around with my worm bin and students will get to look at worms and analyze them. And it could be in the context of habitats, it could be in the context of life cycles, it could be in the context of soil science or of composting itself. Uh, and through that, they're able to understand that when they put their food waste and their compostable trays in the green bin, that the process has just started. All the gardens that we do, I always make sure if we're doing it in boxes that there's one box it doesn't get planted in. And the reason for that is because kids like to just dig in the dirt. And even when we have gardens, so many adults want to say like, no, don't dig in there, we put the vegetables in there. Uh, but let's let kids dig in there. I think we have the real opportunity with the youngest students to start them off on this path in the right way. But I also really love engaging with the older students that maybe have started to drift from their relationship with nature. As humans, over time, we see technology and we see progress as a way of separating out from nature. But I don't think as humans we ever lose our general instincts towards nature. And part of this work is reconnecting that. If you know someone that deserves to be recognized, please visit our website, ncforum.org, click on Education Matters, and you'll find a link to nominate someone in your community. After the break, this week's final word. Last week I had the opportunity to attend an education forum hosted by the North Carolina NAACP. One of the panelists at the forum was Dr. Dudley Flood, a school integration pioneer and a friend of the show who has been on with us a few times. He was asked to give his own final word at the forum and he chose to end by talking about expectations. He said, students are not what you think they are and they are not what they think they are, but they are what they think you think they are. Get that? It's what they think we think of them, what we believe they can do. I'm quite sure Dr. Flo was not just talking about teachers or just about parents. He was talking about all of us, the adults, and whether we let young people know through our words and our actions that we believe they can do anything. Now, I'm not a researcher like Dr. Lindsay, but I suspect that some of the results she found might be tied to this same notion of what a student thinks their teacher thinks of them. I mentioned briefly that there's actually research that suggests that black teachers tend to have much higher expectations for black students than do white teachers. Could we somehow be transmitting that low expectation to the student so that it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy? The same study also pointed out that minority students may simply lack role models if they rarely observe or interact with demographically similar individuals who have high educational attainment, attainment like a teacher.
Diversity in the teaching workforce has been proven to benefit white students and students of color, but research like Dr. Lindsay suggests that for the black or brown student, it is much more critical, which is precisely why it's a real problem to have a majority minority student population, but an 84% white teaching workforce. Students of color here in North Carolina can easily go through their entire 12, K through 12 school experience and never see a teacher that looks like them, that shares their same cultural experiences. Perhaps it's time as we continue to look for solutions to this achievement gap, or as I prefer to say opportunity gap, that exists between black students and white students, we better start paying more attention to recruiting a more diverse teacher workforce that looks more like the diverse multicultural world our children are growing up in. The research shows they will all benefit. That's it for this week's show. We appreciate you tuning in today and every week to Education Matters, and we'll see you soon. Thank you.